Have you ever wanted to be the first to know if aliens really exist? Well, with Nebula, you can be! Nebula is the streaming service that's home to its Probably Not Aliens, as well as our YouTube channels. And the best part? All of our content goes up early on Nebula. So when we break first contact with E.T., you'll be the first to find out. That's right, you'll be able to listen to the next episode of this show before anyone else. Plus, we post bonus content that you won't find any other place. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and be the first to know if this time it really is aliens. Perfect. What people don't know is that I use a dog clicker to get Tristan in the mood for podcast recording. I'm like, Tristan, hey, look at me. Look at me. <laughs> yeah, podcast. Say, say, say smart things. Yeah, my uh, master's supervisor was Dr. Pavlov, so it just kind of... <laughs> Worked out. No, we're talking about pointy, pointy buildings. Yeah. Oh boy. This is one that was a long time coming. This one has come up a lot across many episodes that I've seen of, of ancient aliens. And obviously I think it is just like, I think it is the premium thing. I was going to say it's like both a location and an object or multiple objects. And it's just like, it's so ubiquitous. It's so in in tune with this ancient astronaut theory that we had to use it as part of our our podcast graphic. So um, welcome to the show. Um, Hey, welcome to this show. It's probably not aliens, a show where we look at ancient aliens and pseudo archaeology and pseudo history and all that kind of fun stuff. And today, that's right we're doing the pointy square we're doing the pyramids <laughs> the pointy square that's true my name is scott nice wonder i know absolutely nothing about history or aliens or pointy squares i don't know anything about geometry so maybe that's gonna come up here and i am tristan johnson recording in a thunderstorm uh while also having done a little bit of frantic research to put together what what what's going on here. I you every time you like talk about how you spend like an afternoon researching to come up with an episode. I like I know you're being like very like it's very fun. But it it feels like maybe it has two it has two things for me. That 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 sort of joke or whatever does two things. Number one, it shows just how little research that you have to do to break apart these ancient astronaut theories. And number two, it really shows people that we are not experts on this, but we are trying our best. Uh, not even our best. We're trying a little bit. Are we would you say we're more of an entertaining podcast rather than a professional education podcast? Well, you definitely shouldn't cite our podcast episodes on your essays. That's for sure. That is true. I would say that because uh, I do have like not so much a background in journalism, but I have taken journalism classes and I've done and I've done enough YouTube videos to like learn how to do research really fast or as like kind of getting the basics down really fast. And yeah, what it turns out is you don't actually need to scratch too deep on a lot of these things to find out that 
oh, there's a lot of weird stuff. And so I spend a lot more time not so much looking for the uh, the debunk as I am looking for like something. What's the fun takeaway, you know? Yeah. What's the message? What are we going to what are we going to walk away with? And I feel like this specific topic, the pyramids are something that we're going to come back to a couple of times. But I'm excited to hear what you have in store for us today. So today's episode has to do with a little discussion with a unique individual in one of the first episodes of the show where he goes into this idea that, well, obviously there's something going on with the quarries and the uh, building of the pyramids, specifically their construction, because stone's big, pyramids made of lots of stones. Mm. So how could you possibly have cut out big stones and move them very fast using simple tools and, uh, you know, ancient devices? How could stones... I have in notes here just how we build pyramid. How how we build it. <laughs> Which um is honestly an interesting question. Even for, you know, the non-alien answers, this is something that is up for a lot of speculation and debate even today. And it is kind of impressive that, you know, they can move millions of these multi-ton blocks into place. Like, for example, the Great Pyramid of Giza is the tomb of Khufu. And they had to move all those blocks during his reign, which was only about 27 years. Wow. So that feels like quite a crunch. Yeah. And the thing is massive. It was the tallest building in the world until the Eiffel Tower was built in the late 19th century. So now it's a shiny silver medal. I'm sure something's bigger than the Eiffel Tower. Oh, yeah. yeah, It's been been replaced several times. Now the the Eiffel Tower is nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Now the tallest tower on earth, I think, is the Burj Khalifa which is in Dubai. Mm. And it's absurdly tall. It's so tall that they can't even make elevators go all the way up to the top. You have to like get on several elevators to get all the way to the top. Well, then how did we build that one then? How how do we have to, what advanced technology did, did, do people in Dubai have that, that no one else has? Uh, it's called borderline slavery, but that's a different story. Oh, okay. Never mind. Well, um, let's, let's go back to pyramid. Yeah. So... There's this idea that, I mean, there's several ideas when it comes to ancient aliens claims and the construction of the pyramids. Some are that they had tools that we do not attribute to them, like giant saws and that there's signs of machine marks and stuff like that. And that, you know, just given the looking of it, like you couldn't have possibly built a pyramid with just like the simple tools that they would have had at that time. So their conclusions are either they were much more technologically advanced than we think or or aliens aliens or both or aliens gave them technology that's way more technologically advanced than we think yeah aliens came and gave them not phasers but saws yeah (laughs) they're like work your way up it's like Mm -hmm. when a parent is like if you take care of this goldfish then we'll talk about a dog well they gave us a little bit of technology and look what we did with it i think that that's the reason that we're not getting (laughs) aliens are like this was a mistake we're out of here and no phaser for you and what i found out recently very fun is that Iron Man himself, uh, Mr. Elon Musk, is a believer in this uh, theory. Oh, boy. Where he has uh, tweeted uh, not too long ago that he believed that the pyramids were definitely built by aliens. Mm, What a smart man. What a brilliant mind that Elon Musk, single-handedly building rocket ships and and electric cars with with his... Tony Stark brain. Mm-hmm. He's probably he probably knows a lot about ancient Egypt. If I had to guess, noted uh, noted inventor, entrepreneur, and Egyptologist. Yeah, but yeah. Um, so this is like a big, like obviously, I think anybody who's listening to this show and has gotten this many episodes in would probably guess that 
pyramids are one of the bigger topics in ancient alien theory researcher stuff. It's like one of the big ones. Like if you were to ask a bunch of random people uh, on the street what they think was like the most common thing people believed was built by aliens, they'd probably say either this or Stonehenge. The, yeah, you're absolutely right. The, those are the two. And it's always just Big Stone How, though. Yeah, Big Stone How. How move Big Stone? How move Big Stone, though? So <laughs> here's the so uh, we have to start with actually like a history of people believing that the pyramids were built by aliens. <laughs> Okay, so how far back does this go then? It goes all the way back to the Victorian age. Oh my gosh. I didn't even think people thought aliens existed until like the the 1900s, I guess. Well, the first like big work of uh, literature that sort of posited the idea of extraterrestrials and aliens mm-hmm. was a little book by H.G. Wells called War of the Worlds. That makes sense. You are right. In which Martians... Uh, invade the Earth, and it came out in eighteen. I want to say eighteen ninety nine, but uh, oh, that's so close, so close to the turn of the century. I mean, I have no idea when it came out. Eighteen ninety eight. Wow. Oh, sorry. It was first serialized in eighteen ninety seven in a magazine, okay. and then it came out in publication in eighteen ninety eight. So it was a big deal. If you think about it, like the concept of aliens was not like that much of a thing at the time, mm-hmm. and it's kind of interesting. You can mirror this with different cultural phenomenon, like the beginning of science fiction movies like a really big boom in science fiction movies in the 1950s is like directly linked to like the beginning of people starting to see ufos in the sky yeah that's interesting so yeah in the late 19th century science fiction authors began imagining that there were aliens and that they were the ones that were responsible for building all these great huge things that we didn't really know how they were built that's like um so it's a kind of hit on, on the similar vein of like as soon people getting the idea from movies and stuff There's a similar thing about when the Truman Show came out and suddenly the people now think that their lives are just a TV show. It's called the Truman Show Syndrome or something like that. Really? Yeah. It's almost... There are people... I I was at a VidCon panel of what are called real-life streamers, and there are people where they just voluntarily Truman themselves. Like, they were like, you know, fancy people who they literally stream their life. 24-7? Yeah, or almost. I I think there's actually a rule against uh on twitch against streaming yourself sleeping which i don't really want to know how that had to become a rule but okay yeah um, but uh yeah so anyway let's get back to <laughs> let's get back to this uh war of the worlds was like a huge hit and it led to this is so much fun you're gonna love this so it led to a whole bunch of weird fan fiction about the elon musk of the 1890s which was thomas edison <laughs> Excellent. Yes. So in the popularity of the War of the Worlds, because, you know, copyright wasn't like all that hardcore back then, a author by the name of Garrett P. Service actually made a se- uh, a quasi sequel to War of the Worlds, a book he did not write, in which <laughs> Thomas Edison conquers Mars. Heck yeah. Heck yeah, go conquer Mars. Yeah. And in Edison's Conquest of Mars, it's written that that giants live on Mars and that they were the ones who moved the blocks that built the pyramid and that the Sphinx had uh, Martian features. Oh, man. This is so wild to me because you're right. It would be like if someone 
And I'm sure there are people out there who write fan fiction about Elon Musk conquering Mars and fighting robots and aliens and such. But it's just so weird to think about that someone was doing that back in the day with another real life person. Yeah. And not only was this really popular, but it led to actually like a subgenre of science fiction that was just stories of famous inventors of the time uh, fighting off alien invasions. That is cool, though. I, I wouldn't read it about a real about like modern day, but if you made like a show or a book or a comic book or something that was just about historic cool people fighting off aliens, I would, well, I would, yeah, I would engage in that media for sure. Keep in mind, this is at the time when Thomas Edison was one, alive, and two, yeah. at the peak of his popularity. And these stories, uh, especially like a lot of these stories feature Thomas Edison uh, to the point where the, the genre were just called Edisonades. <laughs> That's so funny. I can't believe I've not heard of this. This is so interesting. Yeah, this is like, okay, so there's this thing in when you're teaching US history where because of like the structure of like a full year course, you know, you got your Christmas break and such mm-hmm. that you usually try to get to the end of the Civil War by Christmas. And then when you start in the new year, you usually have to start with like the early 20th century in which you have to like race to get through the World Wars so that you can like finish off sometime around Reagan. And so um, what happens is that there's like this period in the, the late 19th, early 20th century where a lot of really kooky shit happens and yeah. um, it just doesn't get a whole lot of attention. And this is when you end up with like, you know, Thomas Edison and like these kind of weird uh, yeah. things. Thomas Edison's conquest of Mars. Yeah. And this is also at a time when, uh, you know, the United States was getting into colonizing the world. And like this is when uh, the U.S. had got Puerto Rico and the Philippines. And, mm-hmm. you know, this like a period of like, you know, America is going out into the world and showing off how great they are. Uh, and Thomas Edison is like obviously like one of the faces of this uh, America. Like America had this real reputation of being like the technology technology powerhouse of the world, like the industrial uh, everything. So, I mean, I I guess the idea then would be that if if real life, you know, America is going out and showing the world how cool we are, the next logical step is let's go to space and show space aliens how cool we are and conquest their whole planet. Yeah. So that book was the first case of uh, trying to posit that the pyramids were built by aliens. But then um, it really only got popular. Uh, so it was a really only popular thing in fiction. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it, it's weird that it started here to get popularized because it was like very clearly, overtly a fictional story. So like a lot of things, surprisingly, when you find out, when you do the research, it crossed over from something that was fiction to something that was nonfiction mm. after the publication of a certain 1968 book called Chariots, Chariots of the Gods. Of the gods. <laughs> oh, Von Daniken. We meet again. So, yeah. Uh, so that's that's sort of the place where the idea that aliens built the pyramids really took off was in the late 1960s. And yeah, suggests that aliens, not humans, built the pyramids. So they weren't even going to like, oh, look at these advanced tools. It was straight up like UFOs came down here and decided I want a triangle building here. That's so... Uh... You just took it from something fictional and like, but what if it was real though? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't wait to do, we have to do an Eric Von Daniken like dedicated episode because like there's some stuff that I've been like poking around while reading like around this book to suggest that he possibly like was inspired by like popular novels at the time and that he got, he actually apparently had some legal trouble because of this book. Oh, because he was just taking- <laughs> Like plagiarizing yeah. works of fiction. Ah, oh, Von Daniken. 
All right. So Chariots of the Gods came out, told everyone that these Edison aids were real, basically. He was probably inspired by them because, you know, he was, um, you know, probably reading a lot of science fiction. I would just guess. Mm -hmm. But then, yeah, we get to the three big questions about the pyramids, which is, well, the three big questions about its construction. Who made them? Uh, How'd you get the blocks? How'd you get all the stones cut? In time to make them. How where'd they come from? And how do you move heavy blocks when you don't have, you know, wheels? You don't have a lot of advanced technology, that kind of thing. Because mm-hmm. these 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 are like legitimately like very heavy stones. Yeah, I couldn't lift one. Mm-hmm. So could could you lift one? Do you think? Yeah, you just lift with your legs. That's the trick. That's what it is. Ancient Egyptians only had leg day. Yeah, they just walked around with like watermelons on their calves. You're like. Yeah, <laughs> They sure did. We found a lot of watermelons in the archaeology <laughs> dig-ups. They were just ripped, but just from the waist <laughs> down. So the first question, how did they get the blocks? Uh, how did they cut all these blocks so fast? And that's a legitimately tough question because like, if you think about how many hours it would take to cut out one of these stones from like a sandstone quarry, mm-hmm. it would take either thousands more people than we think that they would be able to field, or it would have taken so much time that you couldn't have done it in like the lifetime of a, of a pharaoh. So there's there was an experiment done just about uh, four years ago, back in 2017, that was done by a guy named, a stonemason by the name of Frank Burke where they tried to basically recreate the cutting of stones using old tools. So they used everything like um, the tools they had at the time would have been like wooden mallets, uh, rope, Mm -hmm. stones, and uh, hardened arsenic copper chisels. Ooh, that sounds fancy. So these are the tools that were found at a site at one of these quarries. There's an archaeological site at a quarry where they dug out the stones to make the pyramids. So it's sort of like finding an unfinished one, right? Gotcha. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. So they tried to cut a replica using the same tools. And this stone weighed about two and a half tons, which is about the average size of one of the stones in the Pyramid of Giza, which is the big pyramid. It's the one that you're always thinking of. Mm -hmm. And it took four workers four days to cut one of these stones. What? Yeah. I thought it was supposed to take years Years and years. Well, to for, for workers to cut the stones, the thing is they had to cut thousands of these stones. Oh, okay. I see what you mean. Yeah. So they, they thought like, okay, this is a long time. Four days, four workers. But they then found out that if you get the stone wet, because it's just sandstone, so it's actually not a very like hard stone. Right. It actually sped up the cutting process by sixfold. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. So you can just like crank those babies out. Yeah. So when they originally predicted that you wouldn't be able to build the or cut out all the stones of the pyramids without a workforce of like 30,000 people. Now Burgos extrapolates that you could have had 3,500 quarrymen produce the about 250 blocks a day that you would need to complete the pyramid in the 27 years that Khufu was Pharaoh. So suddenly this idea that seemed totally unreasonable is now completely feasible. Yeah. All just thanks to good old water, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it, it sounds crazy, but it was actually like experimental archaeology. So yeah. it was a cool little discovery. And the fact that it only was discovered four years ago shows that this is still a thing that people are seriously still trying to think about. Like they're still trying to find answers. So this was like a reasonably big breakthrough. That's fascinating. And so that comes to the second question. Okay, you got all these big blocks, but how do you move, you know, 2.5 ton blocks of uh, sandstone and then arrange them to build a pyramid. Yeah. How do you move them? The answer. How, how do you move stone? <laughs> so there's so there's one thing that we do know, which is that ramps were involved. Ah, classic. Classic simple machines. So we, we've known this for a long time. Like the thing is that a lot of the uh, 
speculation now is about, well, like what kind of ramps did they have? There are some who think that they made a built might have built like a spiral shaped ramp where they push it up and like moved it up to, to the top and that kind of thing. Or that there were just a huge ramp. So like they would build the lower level, then they would build the ramp up and like they would do that. But oh, yeah. that turned out to be unfeasible because by the time you were getting to the top, you were building some ridiculously huge ramps that there's no evidence of. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. But um, there was another breakthrough that was discovered at a different site, which is a place called Hatnub. Hatnub? One of those two. Hatnub. Yeah. Which is a another quarry. And it found that there was this system where they had a centralized ramp that was flanked by two staircases with numerous holes. So you would use a sled that carried the stone block that was attached to ropes to wooden posts. And the ancient Egyptians were able to pull the blocks out of the quarry on very steep slopes of 20% or more. So if you think about it, they would build these like very, I'm supposed to use my hands for a podcast. Um, (laughs) Thank you for the the visual demonstration that only I can see. But like 20 degrees, very steep, right? Very steep like uh, like thing. And then they would have ropes. They would tie up the stone and then they would have staircases on either side. So then you'd have the laborers kind of go up the side, pulling the stones up this thing. And they found that they could actually move them, especially if you use a sled, which makes it easier to move something up the ramp. Like it wasn't like just grinding up, but it had like a right. kind of like wooden apparatus that made it so that the friction was a lot lower. That makes sense. Turns out leverage and ramps and ropes can can, can do that. You know, it, we've once again solved the mystery of how were people back then able to move big rock? Mm-hmm. And it's, it turns out you just use a little bit of ingenuity, or as they would say from the movie Three Ninjas, use a little ingenuity. Ninja. Did you know that um, I found out randomly that one of the guys from Three Ninjas was on TikTok? Oh, really? Oh, man. And I gotta, gotta best, he had the best story because he had a girl over and then she went to his closet where he had his like little ninjas like costume, I guess. And he had a lot of explaining to do. Um <laughs> It's like, why do you have a little kid costume in your closet? I got to start another podcast all about three ninjas. But anyway, we digress. Yeah. Instant diarrhea. Um, (laughs) Feast, then felony. Wow. You're just, you're literally digging up like 20 year old memories. Like they're just like, (laughs) like some like neuron that hasn't moved since the nineties just being like, oh, (laughs) that's right. Oh my goodness. I forgot. Uh, Tum tum. Okay. Um, <laughs> we can just make references all day, but we will not. We will okay, move on. Okay. So the thing is, in looking at this site in Hotnub, there was, I'm just going to say, I, I, I don't speak, actually, no one speaks ancient Egyptian, but also I'm sure somebody knows how to pronounce it correctly, but it is a dead language. So I don't know. But either way, so if you look at the tool marks, you start to see inscriptions that lead to Pharaoh Khufu, and you find that there are similar types of tool marks found on the stones in the Great Pyramid of Giza, which gives a lot of indication that this technology that was found did exist at the time of Khufu and therefore was very likely the technology that was used to put the stones into place at the Pyramid of Giza. It's not definitive, sure. but it is a very likely indicator. Fair enough. Fair enough. And also there's a bit of speculation about who built them. Not not a whole lot, but I'm sure as people who grew up in the Judeo-Christian tradition, the two of us, that there's this strong prevalent idea that the Egyptians uh, had slaves build the pyramids. We all saw the, right. the Prince of Egypt. That We've kind of thing. seen the Prince of Egypt. Are you going to pull the rug out from under me and say that actually Thomas Edison built them? 
Oh man. A time You're traveling reading the Thomas notes? Edison. Yeah. <laughs> Wait for my new uh 21st century Edison aids. We'll bring it. We're bringing them back, baby. Yeah. Although everyone's everyone's so big on Tesla now because Thomas Edison turned out to be a bit of a con artist who took credit for other people's inventions. That, which is very ironic that like Elon Musk would be like yeah, I'm going to name my, my company Tesla, even though I will do all of the same things that Edison did. Yep, including electrifying an elephant to prove that uh, AC power is dangerous. It's, it's History repeats itself. It's so weird. The town that happened in, in Canada has a microbrewery that uh, now produces a beer called Dead Elephant, and it is great. <laughs> well, I guess that's one way to to just live off of the history. <laughs> yeah, so the thing about these uh, the pyramids is that Ancient Greeks were the ones who speculated that it was first built by slaves, but more recently they have found a lot more information, which I found out was primarily derived by studying graffiti, which owns. That rules. Tell me more about that, please. Yeah, so apparently the building of these pyramids were done by kind of something similar to uh, what would be called like the corvée system in, in European tradition, which is that they would have like people who lived in Egypt because Egypt was also like a weirdly like hyper centralized society with like a very powerful central government and everything like that. Mm -hmm. So they just said like, oh, like for this many months or this many weeks of the year, you just have to come do manual labor. Like you have to just put in your pyramid time, I guess, uh, during your life. But like the people who did it were not unpaid. They were not owned. They were, well, they were sort of, um, they were peasants. They were uh, workers who were being paid, actually paid kind of well too, but they were, they were not there voluntarily. So it was like sort of like required time to, to do it. Sure. But there's, like signs that you know they live decently they got a ration of bread and beer and um reportedly there were even like you know labor disputes and uh possibly even a strike so so a lot of signs that it's not just like you know just straight up slave labor so there's a whole lot more stuff to learn that's still being sort of worked out at this site where there's like egyptologists who have literally dedicated their entire lives to just studying like this one site so Still a lot more to learn. Still so much. We're never going to know it all. It's bananas, though. Like, I actually am kind of taken away that, like, something like the Pyramids of Giza, the Pyramid of Giza, that's something that we have been, you know, we've known about for uh, thousands of years and that we've been studying nonstop probably for centuries, that we're still, to this day, still make making discoveries about, like, how it was built. Like, it's... The fact it's so impressive that we are still today scratching our heads about exactly the details about how they put it together and all those kinds of things. Which is probably why a lot of people lean to this idea of, well, we can't figure it out. So it's probably aliens. Yeah. So I hope that that puts to bed at least a little bit of the idea that they needed super advanced technologies uh, to build the pyramids. Like we have pretty solid understanding of at least close to the technology that they had to build the pyramids and that it was doable with what they had at the time. So no, no science fiction needed. Although some cool science fiction did come from it uh, yes. in, the fact of, in the form of these Edison aids. Yeah. I guess what I should say, though, is archaeologists have been very upset with these investigators trying to make the claim that these pyramids were built by aliens. And it has led to a lot of hobbyists trying to find proof of their claims, leading to no. destruction of ancient sites. No, stop doing that. <laughs> that will forever just peeve me off. Stop yep. doing that. Uh, in 2014, a group of hobbyists defaced a cartouche, which is sort of like a uh, signature 
of Khufu inside the Great Mummy to search for the <sighs> proof of their alien theories. Come on. When you say hobbyists, do you just, do you mean like what what hobby are they participating in here? Pseudo archaeology. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. It's it's interesting because like they were in the um because there's also a, I found out there's a prominent theory that the pyramid had a purpose that was not for being the tomb of. Khufu mm-hmm. because there is a uh, there's no body and you know that's not realizing that like maybe a giant building that says here is where a big king is buried with all of his shit would You're maybe right. be robbed a few times over the last three millennia <laughs> right I think we've talked about that on a, on a previous episode because they did mention that in ancient aliens the show where they're like well they archaeologists claim this is a tomb but where's the body and that even struck me as like yeah wait i didn't even realize they never found a body that's interesting and then you explain it to me exactly like that it's like it's a big building where a king that signals where a king is people are gonna rob it you know yeah and there's like references of like muslim kings of egypt who like entered the tomb to discover it but when you look inside the pyramid, you also learn that like it's the closest thing to like a Dungeons and Dragons type dungeon ever. Oh, <laughs> um, cool. Like it actually has like false paths and traps and stuff like that. Yes. And this is the coolest thing. And I don't think it's been, I don't think they've actually like confirmed this or not, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but apparently using cosmic particles of some way that they have been able to determine that it's very likely that there is a chamber underneath the Pyramid of Giza that has not been tapped into. So it could be that the sarcophagus, that there is an empty sarcophagus in the pyramid, which you know might indicate a body was there at one point. But it could be that either somebody close to Khufu or Khufu himself is actually not buried in that one and that there's a real tomb that's like underneath it. And uh, if we can- Yes. Oh, what a twist. <laughs> Oh, Khufu's pulling one over yet again. Classic. Yeah. Unbelievable. That's so cool. How does it still continue to be so cool all these millennia later? That's, yeah. Uh, and the fact that like we used like something with cosmic particles to determine that there was a chamber underneath the ground there. It's like, oh my God. Outsmarting us still. Unbelievable. So one of the quotes I got here is from a paleontologist by the name of Julien Benoit to kind of talk about these people who try to prove that the pyramids were built by aliens. So here's the quote here. Uh, Firstly, these people try to prove their theories by traveling the world and desecrating ancient artifacts. Secondly, they perpetuate and give air to the racist notion that only Europeans, white people, ever were and ever will be capable of such architectural feats. And this is the part that I wanted to get into next because this particular case seems like a good time for us to start talking about uh, something we've kind of danced around when it comes to ancient aliens, which is that there is a lot of racism baked into this set of theories. Yeah. And and before we dive into this, I do want to try and channel some of the energy we had back in episode one, where we where I guess the idea was we were going to try and not be assholes. And I think there's a lot of people out there who do believe in some aspects of ancient astronaut theory, 
without even fully intending or realizing how racist it is. So I just want to be clear before we continue that if you believe in some of in some of these theories that we've been trying to debunk, we're not calling you specifically a racist person, but the ideas in ancient astronaut theory is almost inherently racist for reasons that I'm sure we'll get into. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's um, built on a lot of racist assumptions about how societies are. We've kind of talked about this, about the lack of appreciation for like what people were able to accomplish. I will say Eric Von Daniken, super racist. Super racist. <laughs> um, that's the one that's, we can guarantee that one. We can call him out for sure. Yeah. Like there are some quotes about things that he believes about black people specifically that I will not even read on this podcast. Let's not. So uh, we might get into that more when we talk about Eric Von Daniken, the like center of this whole thing himself. But um, that's less of what we're talking about today. But the, the idea is that even by investigating these, there's this injection of rhetorical, like trying to make doubt. Yeah. Like in the same way that climate change deniers can poison the well by just introducing the idea of doubt of scientific consensus, mm-hmm. which, you know, is like essential for living. Mm-hmm. But like in this case, it's trying to implement it, it is sort of muddying the water uh, about the abilities and uh, capabilities of these people. And I did learn, and this is uh, interesting, like a lot of this problematic stuff comes from also the fact that a lot of these uh, sites that ancient astronaut uh, theories tend to attribute to aliens come from a time where these societies were building great and huge uh, monuments. But it was a time when Europe was very much in its like infancy in the Middle Ages when they were not building big things or they in ancient times like they were not doing these like mega projects and stuff like that right so it's almost when when you view it from that sort of european perspective it's like well we weren't able to do that stuff and so therefore no one should have been able to Mm -hmm. so it must have been aliens yeah so this is so i know that this is we're getting a little like like we're getting into talking about the politics of even like investigating these things but like there, it is easy if you kind of do a more surface reading to think that a lot of ancient astronaut theories are innocuous. It's just like fun conspiracy theory, science fiction thinking. And even if it's not true, it's just fun to think about. But these theories uh, do introduce doubt and undermine the sort of agency and uh, the archaeology and the intellect of non-European cultures, and especially Africa and South America. Because one of the things that we're probably noticing is that a lot of these ancient alien sites tend to be in Africa or or uh, the Americas. Yeah, North America, South America, Egypt, and the African continent in general are pretty heavy sites of extraterrestrial theories, which uh, these are societies that particularly people who have a sort of Eurocentric understanding of progress and technological achievement undermine fairly often. And yeah, the only like real exception, if you think about all these sites, it's almost exclusively sites that were not made by white people. The only exception is Stonehenge, but like you wouldn't think like if you look at like the the kind of like sites in the world, mm-hmm. the pyramids, they will say they're built by aliens, but you never hear them say that the Roman Colosseum was made by aliens. Right. That's a fair point. Or that the Parthenon was made by aliens. Absolutely. And even the one European site they do reference, which is Stonehenge. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind that like there's two two things. One, when they do reference Stonehenge, they do tend to go very vague. 
probably talk about Stonehenge in another episode. So don't worry about yeah. that. But uh, they do tend to be more vague and just kind of question, oh, how could they got the stones here? But also British people don't exactly have a lot of danger of having their capability of building and uh, building things and having their culture questioned in sort of global discourse. Let me ask you this, though. Who do you think built the Lincoln Monument? And who, who do you think that guy is? You know, some things we'll just never know. It's um, a big mystery. Mm-hmm. So a political scientist by the name of Evaristo Benyera at the University of South Africa has noted that uh, these Western denialists prefer to revoke agency and skill from ancient Egyptians, or in his case, the Shona people of the Bantu civilization, yeah. rather than recognize the intellectual ownership of these structures. And that they would rather say that the great Zimbabwe, for example, belongs to aliens who do not exist and then attribute them to the Shona people or the Africans who exist and built them. Yeah, absolutely. It's incredibly frustrating (laughs) as we continue making episodes like this and continuing to have to repeat a lot of the same ideas that that we're touching on here of just like, these ancient civilizations were way cooler and way more advanced than people give them credit for. Mm -hmm. And in our case today, like the descendants of those ancient Egyptians are still there today. Mm -hmm. And this is their history. This is their cultural heritage. And in many ways, trying to deny that they built these things is trying to rob them of their own history. Yeah, that's, and it's incredibly cruel (laughs) when you put it in that, when, when you put it in that exact phrasing, that is incredibly cruel. And it, it, it makes it really hard to even entertain for fun these ideas of ancient astronaut theory. Yeah. Now, anybody who's watched a step back will know that this is like, <laughs> oh, this is instantly where my brain goes when we talk about subjects. Uh-huh. My, I'm incapable of having fun. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, this was a topic that when I made, I made an Ancient Aliens video for Step Back back in 2019. And this was one of the things that came up. And it's something I've been sitting on uh, while we were doing this uh, project because it is an important thing to discuss. Yes. And um, I think that it's still fun to have fun with a lot of these things. And we will still like, don't worry, we'll have another that fucking bird type episode <laughs> in the future. But uh, this is one of the things that sort of irritates me about Ancient Aliens yes. that I wanted to get across and sort of is one of the motivating factors for me wanting to uh, make a project like this. Absolutely. And I'm, I just want to say, I'm glad that finally the, the topic of racism can be addressed by two white guys on a, <laughs> oh, yeah, on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> finally, we have the floor. It's about time. <laughs> Oh, man. All right, Scott, you got me. (laughs) (laughs) Tristan, you had mentioned Step Back. What is that? Uh, That is a YouTube channel that I run called Step Back History or Step Back. It's a YouTube channel where I talk about history and now sometimes just talk about things. Uh, My latest video probably has the least amount to do with history that I think I've ever done. I have the history channel where I don't talk about history and you have the comic book YouTube channel where you don't talk about comic books. (laughs) That's true. Look at us (laughs) shifting around our, our... our ideas of how to run a YouTube channel. I'm sure it'll pan out well for both of us. Hopefully for you better than it has for me. Well, I'm uh, just about to hit 95,000 subscribers as we record this. So getting there. That's very exciting. Let's get to let's get to 100. We got to get that silver one play button. Yeah, that'll be fun. I have a uh, spot where I'm going to put it on my shelf right next to a participation trophy I got for T-ball when I was seven. So 
Um, that's are those your only two trophies that you've yes. ever got? Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. No, the, the, no judgment coming from me. Uh, <laughs> coming from a person who doesn't even have the T-ball trophy, so <laughs> you are one up on me, sport. And hey, if you want to follow me and, and my stuff, I have a YouTube channel called Nerd Sync where I talk about. I guess just any sort of nerdy topic that interests me. I'm trying to come up with a fun way to rebrand it because I, I, as Tristan alluded to, I used to talk about comics and superheroes and I still do, but I also talk about other things. Um, the kind of phrasing that I'm, I'm trying to throw out, throw out there into the world is that I want to analyze nerdy media through curiosity and vulnerability. And I think that's hopefully something that rings true when you watch one of my videos. So go check it out. And of course, you can always follow us on Twitter at ProbsNotAliens if you would like mm-hmm. to do that. And of course, uh, your four star reviews. Help us to, uh, you know, spread our show, hopefully, if not just completely screw us over. It's going to screw us over. This was such a bad idea, Tristan. Oh, no. Listen, we we, got to commit to the bit. Um, We're we're too many episodes in at this point. We're too many episodes in. We haven't even released the podcast yet as of this recording. So (laughs) I really hope we're doing okay. Uh, In in the off chance that we're not, please tell your friends. Please tell your friends about this podcast. It is the only, the best way that people can hear about new podcasts because there's so many out there, but I think we're the best one. One. Do you, would you agree? Yes. You could just artificially cut in five whenever we say four. Okay. Yeah. We just want to let's be the do, most five star podcast. Let's let's get a whole bunch of takes of us just saying the number five real quick. Five. 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 Um, so yeah, uh, that was, it's probably not aliens. Um, so we'll see what happens next week. But uh, until then, the truth is out there. Probably. Probably.